on the tee, Jack Nicklaus. This is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory. Join the Bogeymen and Movember on Friday the 20th of May at Moy Valley Hotel and Golf Resort for the inaugural Bogeymen Open. This special day out includes golf on the Championship Golf Course, awards dinner, on-course whiskey tasting and live Bogeymen show. Get involved for your chance to win thousands of euros worth of prizes and you'll get to hang out with special guests including DP World Tour professional Cormac Charvin, Dublin footballing legend Paddy Andrews and actor and TV presenter Simon Delaney. The Bogeyman Golf Charity Day with Movember. Book now via the link below. Hi guys, welcome back to the Bogeyman Podcast with Johnny and Dave. Johnny, how are you? You are draped in, it looks like, the black quack golf hoodie. I am indeed, yeah. The uh, the black quack hoodie. <laughs> the way you hold it. It says, it says the logo, quack written like... across my arm. <laughs> Just in case those people that obviously are listening and not watching this. Uh, yeah, the new wearing the new black quack hoodie, quarter zip. Hoodie, really, really nice. Love it. Um, I kind of just wear this gear to to work now as well at this point. But yeah, it's, it's getting to that it's point. Comfy. It's Again. getting beyond hoodie weather now, though. Yeah, it's t- it's it's issue weather. So bear with the guys; they're having a few logistical issues in getting stuff to the site. It's coming in the next couple of weeks. They've got what looks like an unbelievable range. Right, so bear with them. But there is there is probably ample stuff on on site from the sweaters to the quarter zip to the full zip. Uh, you will get it at Quack Golf. Um, enter Bogeyman, B O G E Y M E N. This is getting much better, Johnny. This read um, at, at checkout, and you're going to get 15% off. Um, Johnny, we have a guest. I'm probably not in the normal realm of guests that we'd normally have on the podcast. No, it's a different different kind of guest, I guess, from our usual. Paul O'Driscoll is the current president of the Olympic Club. I was going to say Olympic Golf Club, but golf, it seems, is a very As we find part out. of what they actually are. So the Olympic Club is uh, an athletic club in San Francisco, which boasts, you were saying last week, over 11,000 members. They cover everything. Um, like a lot of current Olympians, as in people that were in Tokyo or Rio or, yeah, or proper athletes, previous Olympic like... Games uh, are members to this club. Um, and it seems that the the best of the best when it comes to elite athletes go to this club as well as like the entire county of Cork. I, wait till you hear this. This is like I don't know. Is it Paul is from Cork? Um, and he, like, kind of a, it's it's a funny it's a story that that's interesting that it's a it's a traditional Irish immigration story um, that has ended up with an Irish guy for the first time being a, a president of. Uh, the biggest private athletic club in the United States. Um, and what is very evident that about, and you'll get this from Paul, this is not through schmoozing or politics. It's through what seems like a lot of hard work and been a very personable and nice, not nice guy um, with great contacts, great stories. And he, he, there's, a, there's a phrase he'll use in, in the interview um, that's very good in terms of 
like he, he passes the ladder down and that he wants to get more Irish people into the club and get them involved and and have it as a place where where they go it's obviously we, we loved the chat it was very insightful as to maybe banishing a few of the uh preconceived notions that Irish or stereotypical notions that may exist from like American golf country clubs would that be right yeah, I think that'll be, yeah, yeah. I th- I think um, he spoke about the fact that when he joined the club, it was very much a you know a working man's blue collar type of club. Yeah, and that may have changed, I guess, a little bit over time as San Francisco as an ecosystem has changed. Has changed. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, but the the core values and heart, I think, at the core of the Olympic Club, if he embodies them, then the club is in a pretty healthy way. Yeah, we we enjoyed we enjoyed this chat it was it was really good and we um we hope you do too so kind of without further delay or waffle uh let's uh let's go and speak to paul o'driscoll president at the olympic club of san francisco right we are at the bogeyman delighted to be joined by the current president of the olympic club of san francisco paul o'driscoll paul very welcome to bogeyman podcast Thank you. Thank you, John and David. This is fantastic. Uh, David, got the pleasure to meet you a few weeks ago at the Olympic Club through your brother-in-law, Dermot O'Callaghan, who actually sponsored the Olympic Club about two years ago, two, three years ago. So Dermot's one of our one of our new young Irish guys, a group of about 10 that are all buddies that are taking over the club. So I'm sure you met them guys, David. Great to meet you again, Dave. And uh, yep, way to jump in here and answer questions or let me know what, how you want me to start here. Uh, well, what we'll do is we'll actually get started with you, actually, because first president of the Olympic Club, uh, first Irish president of the Olympic Club, um, you've been over there for a long time, but like, I'm not going to tell your story. I'd rather you tell it. And how, how do you get like, I had some experience with it recently, absolutely loved the place, thought it was an amazing club. I didn't realize the scale of it till I went there, but maybe like, give us, give us insight into, into yourself, into the club and, and how, how that relationship developed and formed. Right, Dave, so let me start off now. And I'll, I'll kind of, I want to start, I've made some notes here. I want to start off and lead to that, that, that question of how does a West Cork guy become president? So let me just start off, and I, and, I, and I hope my accent doesn't get away from me here, West Cork guy. But anyway, so I was raised in a small little village in, in Dreen in West Cork, very known for its dairy products and creamies, that kind of stuff. So Dreen is very close to Skibreen in West Cork. And uh, one of nine children, six boys, three girls. Uh, funny enough, all nine of us, no one lives in Ireland except my mom. My mom lives down in, Little bit is called Ross Carberry in West Cork. She's there on her own. My dad passed a few years back, unfortunately. But yeah, so nine, nine children, all immigrated. There's four of us here in California and two in Wales and three, three in England. So that's where we're all gone. So I attended a, a little uh, St. Faulkner's, Peter's Hall High School in Skibreen, which was a great kind of a boys, private boys, kind of a, you know, sporting school since closed, closed about six years ago. Um, grew up playing GA and, uh, and soccer. Uh, GA with my local club, Clonna Gale. My little village in Jumalee. Soccer, uh, a team called Drina Rangers. I was actually, I was actually a founding member of the club, uh, Drina Rangers in West Cork. Probably one of the most successful, these most successful soccer club in West Cork. And that can be disputed, but I know they are. Uh, so that was back in 83. Then in 85, like, you know, like a lot of young Irish people, ambitious young Irish people in the early 80s, you know, Ireland wasn't for me. There wasn't enough opportunity there. So I, I had a sister living here in San Francisco. So in 85, I immigrated to San Francisco. Um, and I was, you know, was, I was brought up in the construction business. So mm-hmm. construction was something in America that, you know, you can jump right in. So I arrived in San Francisco in March of 85. Uh, I had a girlfriend back in Ireland who was finishing up uh, high school. 
Margaret. She was Margaret Lee Walsh. I sent her a ticket and she came out and she joined me here on July 4th, 1985. Now, took me a few years to, to, to get her dad to understand what we were doing here. Her dad was a big six foot two farmer. I think if he'd have caught me by the back of the head, probably would have clobbered me because his daughter was probably on a path to go to college, not out to San Francisco to some rogue like me. So that was it, 22 years old, find myself in San Francisco in 85. Uh, I went on from there, you know, I very successful in my business, my construction business built it up over the years um, uh, and so on and so forth. So then kind of uh, while here, uh, played GA, we kept we continue to play GA here in, in San Francisco. We had a team, a local team that was made up of mostly Kerry lads and Cork lads called the Michael Cusacks. Back in the early 90s, we won, we won the Long American Junior, Intermediate and Senior Championships. We won three in a row, actually. We, we raised up the ranks. I stopped playing GA and all that by late 90s. Started coaching soccer actually for a, for our local club here called the Sansco Glens with a fellow Dublin guy, great uh, great John McCormick's his name right. But anyway, that was my 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 career in, in coaching. So then eventually, uh, I guess at the age of thirty, I took up golf. I mean, I wasn't I didn't go up playing golf, so I didn't really know much about golf. Our local golf course was Skibbereen, and back in the day, it was a nine-hole course, famous for the, the Jack Lynch. Uh, Challenge tournament in August. That was that was Skibbereen Golf Course. Um, so then, let me see. Okay, so um, four boys, four young, four four boys. We raised four boys here in the city. All all, all avid athletes. A couple of golfers there as well. My oldest boy Rory's twenty nine. Lives in Scottsdale. Works in Scottsdale. My second boy uh, Aiden, who was a staunch rugby player in college. He's actually um, a San Francisco police officer here in the city. Twenty five years old. My third boy Paul Junior is in college in Arizona. Second year, my youngest guy, Kevin's in college out here in St. Mary's. Actually plays a cross out there in St. Mary's. So there's the four boys. All four play a bit of golf. Uh, none of them can yet beat their dad, which is good. Uh, the day is coming, I know that. But right now, they haven't beat me yet. So, so that's the boys. That's the family. So, so that kind of gets you, leads you up to, you know, the late 90s. Done playing, uh, not co still coaching a little bit, but taking up mm. golf. So the Olympic Club. I, I got to go out to the old club I, in 90. 98 was the US Open out there uh, the, that I attended. And I had some friends who were Irish who were out there and they kept, they bring me out there and I'd, I'd be a guest of theirs in the golf course. And they kept saying, Paul, you know, guys like you, you got to jump in here. We, we, we got some Irish guys in this club. And we only had probably four or five Irish born guys in the club back in, in the late 90s. So a great friend of mine, I'm not sure if you met him or not, uh, uh, Martin Connolly. So Martin Connolly owns Johnny Foley's Irish house. Here in the city, and another bar called Parkside Tavern. So, a, you know, a lot of Irish will know that place, all right. They would a lot know, of lads know that place. It's a, it's a very, very famous caddy bar, actually. A lot of caddies yeah. and a lot of pros go there as well. But Martin's a really, Martin's wife, Mary, she's from Fermoy. They're just great people and they're, they're super, uh, super popular, actually, in the golf community. They're, they're great people. So, so Martin uh, Connolly and I joined more or less together in 2002. And Martin Connolly actually just came on the board of directors this year. So he's my wingman right now. I got a, a fellow Adrena West Cork guy with me on the board. So we joined uh, another guy called Dan O'Connor. Dan would be another Cork man. Dan would be up around the Canturk area where you all guys know Canturk. They've got a famous name up there for Canturk men. They, they don't know how to, they, they got erasers on their pencil. They're all a bunch of sandbaggers up there in Canturk. They win every single tournament that they play in down there in West Cork. But um, so Martin and I, Dan took the, took the reins at the old club, um, again, like I said, there was maybe four or five Irish-born members, older members at the time that were there. 
got in there. I, I jumped right in, really. We mm. had the uh, 2004 Junior Amateur. So Martin and I volunteered at that and Dan. That led to the 07 US Amateur, Men's Amateur. We took a leadership role in that with, with a group. And, and, and our group consisted mostly of, you know, so we would be in charge of what they called on-course distribution, which was really... I heard, I heard about this. I know what this is. This you, is on-course. You're the one handing out the beer into the lab <laughs> on the course. Cool. So, so yeah, that's exactly it. So 07, you know, we, were, we, we did the amateur. 2012, we, we had, the, uh, we had the, the US Open, which was absolutely fantastic experience. One of my great high school friends, Martin and I, a guy called James Doolan, who's out of Douglas Golf Club in Cork. He's a former president and former um, uh, captain of Douglas. He came out with his son, you know, and, and we all volunteered for that great tournament. There was a great Irish, uh, because you had, you had Podrick, you had Graham, you had Rory, uh, I don't know if Darren played that year. Anyway, some great Irish connections. But that was a great tournament. I'll always remember one great story. On, on, the, on the 18th hole on Sunday, right, at Olympic, in the grandstand, there was 28 grandstand marshals. And a, a guy called Kevin Cronin, who's originally from North Cork, he had all his family, you know, his cousins, and a bunch of Murphys from Dublin, right, okay? But just to give you an idea of how much we took over that tournament, of the 28 guys in the grandstand that day volunteering, 19 of them were Irish. I think 15 were Dublin. Like, we were all over the place. We got another great friend who I'll talk about later, John McLaughlin, who's from Donegal, a great guy. Well, he spent the whole day, uh, and he was supposed to be volunteering with me, actually. He was supposed to be my sidekick that day, driving a golf cart around with Podrick's mom, right, in the golf cart, right, stopping for smoke breaks, <laughs> hiding in the trees, right, for smoke breaks. And actually, Podrick's mom and uh, Ronan, so Ronan Flood, who's Podrick's great friend and, and caddy for years. So Ronan and Podrick's moms were with Johnny that day, you know, driving around the Olympic uh, in 2012. But I, I'll continue on. So 2012 led to the 2015 ball, uh, and then so on and so forth. So I, I gave my time. I, I've, I was on mm. several, we've got like 22 committees in the club. I was on the billing committee, junior committee, standards, all these committees. So then in 2019, um, I was asked to join the board, and I did. I, I joined the board, never thinking I'd be president, because we had never had an Irish president. I, actually, I can't say that to be truthful. We, we may have had an Irish president back way back in the day before the golf club, because mm. uh, I don't know for sure. They, they couldn't find it, the history of it, but definitely not since they purchased the golf club do we have an Irish president. So that's kind of uh, uh, how I led into being president. Is that, and then, funny enough, during COVID, the club decided to embark on a bunch of construction projects. We're putting in new bars, golf course redesign, this kind of stuff. And when it came to picking a president from the 13 board members, I was probably the one person who was qualified because of my background in construction. So they, they, they took a chance and they, they put the West Cork boy in charge of, uh, of the club. So let me just go back on a, on a few things here. Um, it's so okay. Like, what, what, my, I might jump into a couple of the points on yeah, that, that you mentioned sure. on it, um, which which are which is to me is super interesting. Is there has been a big shift, probably, of uh, the type of people who go out to live in San Francisco since the time that you may have gone, and and how has it changed in the club? Because what you see is it's not like the Olympic Club is famous in our in our world as a as a golf destination, as a as a golf right. course. But there's 11,000 members of which, which is mind blowing. Uh, 
but only it's it's two th- two two thousand odd. I think the guys are saying that that are golf members. So there's a huge. The Olympic Club is not just a golf club. It has it, it explains to me even the structure of what you have right. as premises and 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 the, the the structure of the place. So we actually we actually only have nine hundred golf members. Nine hundred golf right. members. We've got a we've got about seven hundred on the golf wait list. The golf wait list is currently nine years. So I when I got my membership in two thousand two. I didn't get my golf membership actually till 20, 2012. I deferred it. I got it actually in probably 10, deferred it because it wasn't going to make any sense at the time. But so to give you an idea of the club, and, I, and I'll jump into your, I'll follow up on that question about the type of folks who are coming here now as opposed to back in the day when I came here. Uh, so the club was founded in 1860, actually by police, firemen, blue collar workers was, it was formed. It was started in a little garage, somewhat sort of market and it morphed into what it is today. But the uh, is an, actually, it's an athletic club. It's the oldest athletic club in America, probably one of the largest, boasting 16 different sports. Now, I won't put like swimming, cycling, soccer, rugby, basketball, running, handball, squash, snowboarding, field hockey, softball, water polo, lacrosse. And actually, back in the day, boxing, okay? And when you talk about boxing, we had, so one of the most famous Irish-American boxers was Gentleman Jim, Gentleman Jim Corbett, whose parents were from County Cork. Gentlemen, Jim. Everyone's from Cork. Yeah, this entire club is from Cork. Every, it's run by Cork people. <laughs> it's brutal. But Jim Corbett actually, at, at a weight of, his weight was 178 pounds. He defeated the great John L. Sullivan. I think it was Dublin, John L. Anyway, in New Orleans to, to, to take the world champ, the world heavyweight champion of the world. Well, Jim Corbett was an Olympian back in the day. So that just tells you how, and that was a 1892 when that happened. But boxing is no longer there now. But even so, when so you say that, yeah. Even when but you say see, that, the, um, the from a sporting perspective, you don't get the like you've got current Olympians, I, and, and I don't mean Olympic right. uh, Olympians as in members of the Olympic. I mean people who are currently in Stanford swimming, going off to the Olympics. Oh. You got number of people who who are, are competing at that level within the club and use the club r- frequently as as a training we, base, for example. So we have, so we've again, we've got over eleven thousand members. Okay, uh, to date, the club has amassed with. Somewhere approximately 30 Olympic medals, 15 of which are definitely gold. We had a swim meeting. We, had a, we opened one of our bars downtown the other day, and we had a swim meet just to, to, uh, to celebrate it. And the final race in that swim meet, four Olympians jumped in, okay, right? I went, uh, I, Nathan, this guy, Murphy. Anyway, when they jumped in, okay, there was eight gold medals in the beck and pool. <laughs> That's what these guys have amassed over the last three Olympics. So, so, yeah, it is crazy. People think Olympic Club's golf. It's not. It's not, it is, but it's not. But so when I, when I talk about that, I mean, our campus, we got, you've seen the campus, Dave, out at Lakeside, right? But the campus on Post Street downtown, which is the original campus, that's nine stories. It's got two full-size Olympic Club swimming pools. It's got two full-size basketball courts with stands the whole lot. It's got it, six squash courts. It's got, uh, I think, four handball courts. It's got three floors of, of, of workout facilities. Over 3,000 lockers, <laughs> three restaurants, but it's huge. I mean, it's right downtown. It's got parking. That's what's called a post-street campus. That's the Olympic Club. When you talk about golf, it's Olympic Club Lakeside. That's what we call our country club. Now, your membership can cross over. For instance, in your brother-in-law situation, um, he would be what we would call a downtown member, but he's probably on the golf list. But he mm. can still play golf but there's restrictions. So the golf members have a window and all that. Similar to what you do, I, I don't know how you would compare that to any clubs in Ireland, I'm not sure, 
but a lot of private clubs, I know that Garden City in New York, in New York uh, Wingfoot, they've all got sections as well where you're on the golf wait list, but you do get the, the, the right to golf. You, know, you can golf, again, restricted. Now, uh, so when you get back to your earlier question about when, when I joined, it was, you know, we were different. We, when I came out here in the 80s, most of the Irish immigrants were in construction. Well, fast forward, you know, 25 plus years, the last 10, 12 years, there's a, there's a complete difference. Uh, the folks coming out nowadays are all really different. They're all into, uh, you know, they're engineers, they're into tech, they're into, you know, Google, Facebook. I mean, we've got some members of our club who are really, really in high positions in Silicon Valley. And I would say today, we probably have well over 200 Irish-born members in our club, which is amazing. But that's how we've, we've morphed. Because again, back in my day, it was almost seen upon, well, yeah, you're not going to join the Olympic club. There's no way. I mean, you know, it's kind of prestigious. And it wasn't. It was actually a working man's club, athletic-wise. Of course, the golf club was, was a country club, right? But I will say country clubs here, though, in my experience, they tend to differ a bit. I know Ireland's getting better, but, but I, I've been back on a few golf trips with guys from, from, uh, from here, and we've done it, and I, I visited most golf courses in Ireland, most clubs. And... There's still a little bit of stuffiness there. You know, I don't mean to be, you know, but there is a little bit. You know, this, the, the prestige is there. It's getting much, much better. I know it is. But for some reason over here, you don't get that kind of a, you know, maybe, look, I haven't been to Pine Valley. I haven't been, I've been to Augusta. I haven't been to that private club. But I mean, I've been to LA Country Club. I've been to Bel Air. I've been to San Francisco. I've been to Pebble. I've been to uh, Cyprus, you know, uh, Monterey Country Club. You don't get, you, you, I don't see it. It's very very normal, very, you know, welcoming. It's just, it's just different. And that's what Olympic, Olympic is. People think Olympics, you know, whatever. It's not. I had a great friend. This is a really quick story. I had a great friend who was out here a few years ago, a guy called Joe Conley. He had a local bar in our village called the Gaelic Bar. And Joe was one of them skibbereen guys. Uh, you know, he never had less than 20 handicap, but a funny guy. But Joe passed actually just, just late last year. He died suddenly on the 17 hole of skibbereen with his two sons in hand, which was kind of whatever surreal but you know that's a good way to go really but joe played with me on the ocean course one day and we played with this guy who was a former cal amateur champion okay and uh, his name was doug nelson and doug has actually since passed but doug was a you know a house painter <laughs> it was funny he was a house painter liked to smoke and drink and have fun in the golf course that was the ocean course on wednesday on friday joe and i had a tea time in the lake course and we go out there and we're just about to tea off in the lake course with three of us and we're joined by Bill Getty Jr., okay? A freaking billionaire, okay? So on the golf course. And that's the variety you have at Olympic. I mean, you, you know, one day we're playing with a house painter. Next day you're playing with Bill Getty Jr., who's, you know, heir to whatever you want to call it. Billions, right? I know, probably, you know, so much money. So that's, that's the old club. That's the kind of way it's structured. It's, it's, um, it's a great club. It's a family club. Even to this day, we keep our dues down. I mean, my, my own son is a policeman. He's a member. I know teachers who are members. It's, it's not this prestigious country club that people think it is. So I, I hope that kind of answers your question, Dave, on, on the structure of the club. Yeah, it does. It, it gives an insight because it's a point that probably is relatively unique to your club. It's not a system that we ever have in Ireland. That's why a lot of people wouldn't understand um, or may have the preconceived notion that places like this are uber-exclusive, very... Um, stiff upper lip and quite hard to get into and it's all about money i feel that this that the olympic club was slightly different to the the others in the region and i suppose to give it some context by the lake course which is the championship course which you would see there are san francisco club like merced and all of these 
and Harding Park which are all unbelievable courses all based around one small very small area of a very large city um, all of which offer something probably different to the to their membership including right. probably price right. as well like we, right. we do hear this of these exorbitant fees that that some of these clubs in the vicinity charge um, but it's interesting to get the I suppose the actual view on on what on what the course is like because you have had incredible events there and are, are going to right. continue to, to have them the most recent being the u.s women's open as you said uh, where you Sasso won and webb simpson in 2019 in 2012 which was probably the, the most recent uh, from a from a male perspective but give us a sense of of what's to come for the for the club because right. there's and strictly, I suppose. Look, we have a golf audience, but from a from a golf perspective, what's 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 on the horizon? Like you have Gil Hansen there at the moment, who's probably making a few changes. Um, the Ryder Cup is there in 2030, 32, I think it is. You've yeah, got I'll, you've got tons I'll happening. Up, I got a little too prepared for you here. So for the for the old club, okay. So okay, so is it? Uh, this is great because you never let a man yeah. that's not prepared. Yeah. So this is this is we got two courses as you know when we yeah. when we first bought it it was just the lake course now it's the ocean course and lake course and I don't know if you got to see the little part three nine hole courses out in the ocean the cliffs course which is spectacular so yeah, anyway I lost twenty I lost so, twenty bucks there tonight you to, good to, man to, yeah <laughs> to the wrong guy so yeah. so so the Olympic Club is actually considered the graveyard for big name champions like with underdogs always coming through to win in the end and i'll give you an example okay so we've we've hosted five men's us open 1955 jim jack fleck defeats ben hogan in the playoff right 1966 billy casper defeats arnold palmer in the playoff 1987 scott simpson pips tom watson by one shot 88 lee, lee jansen pips paint stewart 2012, Webb Simpson stole that tournament. I mean, he did. He chipped. He got lucky in the 18th. His ball landed in the sprinkler area. I saw it, right? So he got to, he got a much easier chip than Podrick had or Graham had. So so Webb pips Graham and Michael Thompson by a shot with Podrick and Jim Furyk just a shot back. Jim, who had blown his ball out of bounds on the power 516. So, so that's that's a death knoll right there. Last year, like you said, 2021, uh, Yuko comes from nowhere because Lexi Thompson with a one-shot lead on the 17T blows it. She, she bogeys 17, which is fine, but makes a really, really poor bogey in 18 to even miss a playoff. So there's another superstar gone. So that's, that's six tournaments. We hosted two PGA Tour championships. 93, Jim Gallagher Jr. defeats Greg Norman by one shot. Mark McCumber defeats Fuzzy Zola. So the trend is, holy crap, like all these great champions. We, you know, we would love to have seen Gray McDowell or, or Paddy pull off that one in 2012 because um, even Jim Furyk, imagine having, you know, and I'm not, look, I'm not mocking Webb Simpson, but when you go up there and start talking about God, to me, he's like, hey, God's for everyone, not just one person. But I mean, that's what you know, he was talking about. So that kind of nonsense. But anyway, we've also hosted, so let's just see here, before I jump into what's coming, we've hosted three men's amateurs 58 81 07 what's interesting about 81 is that it was won by nathaniel crosby being crosby's son a lot of folks don't know that grew up local here in palo alto so being crosby's son is one of our one of our olympic uh, amateur champions in 04 we hosted the uh, the junior end so you say to me what's to come so what's to come so here we go this is interesting stuff let me see where i'm about to go here all right 
before we get into what's to come real, real quick what is it about the course that you think is a um an underdog course is there anything about it that um certain big names have just not got it across the line or or is it just the event got to them it's one course you know uh, i would say that um USGA love it because they can set it up their way. It's not a bomber's course. You stay like Bubba Watson, stay at home, buddy. You're not gonna, you're not gonna, you know. This is a course where it's a, it's a shot maker's thinking course. They set it up so well. It's kind of unique in that you finish with with, with two par, you know, par five, sixteen, par five, seventeen. Funny enough, they played as a par four in the amateurs, but they always play seventeen as a par five in the open. And it's really risk risk reward. There's so many mistakes you can make. 18, look, to the eye, it's simple. It's like, you know, 320 yards down the hill, blah, and up there, but the green is, you know, it slopes so much back back to, you know, from front to back, and the rough is brutal. I mean, it's a hole you should make birdie on. If you're not careful, you're making a bogey very easily. And that's it. I mean, I think it's, it's, not, it's not the club's length. The greens are small. The greens are fast. But USJ, they've made a way. I think, I think power was only broken once or twice in all five of the men's US Opens. Uh, that was it. No one, I don't know if anyone broke power prior to 2012. I don't think they did. Um, the stretch just, in, there was the stretch from one to five in 2012 was the hardest five hole stretch ever yeah. in US Open history. Yeah. That and was, Dave, as you know, power five is the first holes of power five for, mm-hmm. for us members. But, uh, and when you go holes two through six or five brutal holes, so you imagine you take away that cushion of a power five first hole. And you make it a power four now, okay, right? Now for these guys, it's still not a massive power four by today's standards, but it's still tough. There's no, there's no cushion, so you can find yourself, you know, two, three, four over par in no time, you know, before you even turn to turn the sixth hole. I mean, that's it. Twenty twelve. I mean, I remember twenty twelve because uh, we were very involved behind the ropes in twenty twelve. I remember uh, Graham was teed off last. He was in the lead, he was leading, and we were on it. We were up on the fourth tee box watching Graham approach. And um, what's his name from England, uh, who was playing brilliant that, that whole week? Um, Lee Westwood. Lee Westwood was on the 4T, and it's it risk or reward. He drove over what we call his umbrella tree, and unfortunately, his ball got stuck in the tree. And I mean, it was an unforced yeah. error. He went for it. He went for a tighter lie. Most guys hit three woods. Lee thought, hey, I'm going to go for this. He thinks the ball came down. He went down to his ball, couldn't find it, came back, two strokes, lost there. That was him gone. You know what I mean? Having Jim Furyk snap hooked a forward on on 16, that cost him the tournament that that year. I mean, Podrick just hit a really poor shot to his own by his own standards on on 18. What happened to Podrick was he put himself right of the green and his approach shot, and there's a tree that comes into play, so he had to force his ball out to the left. Mr. Green got into really deep rough, not like Webb. Webb missed on the right hand side where there was a sprinkler where the grass was all kind of down whereas part of it was in thick stuff and impossible up and down made a bogey there uh, graham i remember graham just kept himself from an impossible put above the hole so that that was graham's you know that was graham's and i think michael thompson similar so out of the last i think seven or eight players that came in on 2012 i think the only guy who made par was Webb simpson and he won the tournament <laughs> you know what i mean so that's kind of like that that tells you and it's just a short little quirky hole it's not like you know you know it wasn't I mean, to the eye, it's not a big deal. Like, why, why is everyone moving this hole? So that's kind of where, where the course is. So, so going forward, so where are, we going, where are we going forward here? Let me just see what I've got written down here. Um, so what lies ahead for us? Okay, so 
obviously we hosted the 21 US Women's Open last year, okay? So we jump into our major remodel starting November. So Gil Hans is right across the road right now at Lake Merced, finishing up there. He comes to us in November and we're really excited about Gil coming in because the lake course needs a redo, especially the bunkers, some of the tee boxes. He'll add some fairway bunkers, lengthen some holes. No, no, no major, major changes, but just Gil wants to bring the course back to what it used to be like before we had all these trees that have since fallen out. It'll be, I think it'll be really cool. A lot more playable for the members, but still when the USJ comes in or the PGA come in, they can set it up to make it really tough. So we're excited about Gil. I, I, know, I know Gil has done some work in Ireland. I'm not quite sure, but he's done some great courses here in America, like, you know, Wingfoot, LA Country Club. Uh, you know, he's just done a ton of great work in America. And he is right now considered the superstar yeah. of architects in America. So, mm. so we'd like with that. So um, what's next for us? Okay, so we just did a 21, like I said, Women's Open. So we host a 25 US amateur, men's amateur. Uh, we jump into our first PGA event. When I, when I say PGA, we had the tour events years ago, but our first PGA. So 28, we had the uh, PGA of America comes in, and it's the official you know, major PGA, which was at Harding Park two years ago. PGA. In 29, we're in the process of finalizing a contract that will allow us to host the PGA Works. The PGA Works is a tournament that the PGA puts on, and it, it's for minority colleges. It, it, it really does. It, it's great. It's a great tournament. It's, you know, you... you we're not going to make any money, and obviously you lose money, but it's great to host it. And it's part of our deal with the PGA. So then in 2030, again, we're negotiating with the USGA to host the 2030 US Women's Amateur here at Olympic, which is a great follow-up to last year's uh, Women's Open. Um, 2030, uh, well, actually, what's nice about those two, didn't make those two tournaments. As a prez, it's been great for me this year because I'm the one who's signing up to contracts. It's exciting. Like, here's a guy from Drina West Cork signing contracts for, you know, women's, you know, amateurs and all this stuff. And still, I'm, I'm proud of the team right now that's further negotiating with the PGA as we come into the Ryder Cup. So, of course, the big one, 2023 Ryder Cup. I mean, holy shit, guys. Excuse my language. I went to Whistling Straits this year, and I had no idea what Ryder Cup was really all about. Until you get there, and you see the build-out and the infrastructure. I don't know if you guys have gone, right? But it's crazy. This thing is huge. They had this village there, uh, as you enter Whistling Straits, called the International Village. It, it could house 30,000 people. Now, the, the largest they had at Whistling Straits at any given day was 46,000, okay, right? But I've got a great friend of the PGA, Barry Deach, who was chair of um, the PGA at Harding Park. And Barry's actually the chair this year of the PGA tournament, I believe, down in, um, it's in uh, uh, what's it on? Um, down in Oklahoma. What's that course? Anyway, I can't think of it. But... Barry told me that they were expecting 15,000 more fans in Europe. That's the average. But the fans couldn't come, obviously, because of the COVID. But the build-out for the Ryder Cup is like, it's just, uh, it's crazy. So that's our, our 2023, that's our Ryder Cup. That's the big one that's, that's on the horizon. Hopefully, I'm still around to, to witness that. And then going past that, so our CEO, Tim, and myself, we're going to the U.S. Open this year, U.S. Amateur. We're, so we're negotiating, on, ongoing negotiations. And our plan is to try and, this year, if possible, secure a mid-30s men's and women's U.S. Open for, for, for Olympic. Because Olympic was trad traditionally very uh, USGA-orientated, uh, uh, as you can see by our past. PGA jumped ahead of them for the, for the 2000s, but we hope to go back to that again, because we got a lot of amateur players who, you know, so, that are connected to USGA. So that, that's the future of the club right there. Yeah, I think, so uh, you obviously went over to Whistling Straits. 
um did it give you an idea as to what the fit out would look like for when the Ryder Cup comes over to you guys and when does the like the planning start for that the planning starts for that I think what's good is we will be in a good situation because John the, the PGA will be on they'll, they'll be on site in 07 2027 to start building out for the PGA and the, we'll we'll get a better idea and I think they'll use the PGA as a test test pilot, a test pilot. I very rarely does the, the, the PGA hand a Ryder Cup out to a, to, a, to a course that hasn't previously held a major or previously held a PGA. If you look at the, because the Whistling Straits had a PGA. So they, they kind of get it. Bet Page, has Bet Page had a PGA? They've got the Ryder Cup coming up, but they've had US Opens. So they, they, they can see, so they, they think it's going to work. I mean, we have the Ocean Course. So for the 2012, 2020, for the 2012 US Open, I mean, the out on the Ocean Course was massive. It was huge like a small town out there so we have the second course so we, we have space but it's when you get into the kind of the logistics of how do you get around these courses because it's a huge build out it's like if you look at the phoenix uh, what do you call that one in phoenix where they have the that the seven the 16 or 17 hole in phoenix the uh, waste management waste management yeah. Uh, yeah well it's like that on steroids because it's the whole course i mean the first hole every hole is like that it's ridiculous great atmosphere i mean fantastic atmosphere it was a shame this year that we didn't have the 15,000 extra Europeans because it would have been even better, but it was still great. So, uh, but that's that. So, so that's where we're going. That's what's, that's what's ahead of us. Okay, right. Could we jump into something there that you mentioned, actually? Uh, and, I, and I think it's interesting because we, we've spoken about so much of the golf and you're, you're talking about um, events that you're running that are, that are not for profit. The Olympic Club is big business as well like you there's a behemoth of a business that, that exists behind eleven thousand members you have the nine-story hotel then a hotel slash pool facility downtown yeah. the club uh at lakeside the, like you're, you've incredible properties 11 as i said eleven thousand fee-paying members etc um sports that cover as you said 16 different sports the, like the the size of the business itself of the olympic club aside from the membership is absolutely enormous and the running costs are obviously enormous that go along with that between maintenance and, and staff etc but tell me just in terms of you have a, a fully dedicated business arm to this like the, the president head of the club etc but mm -hmm. you just mentioned tim your ceo and he obviously has an enormous staff that goes in into this and how does how does this all marry up the 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 volunteerism element to it with the fact that the club, the club needs to wash its face and it needs to be profitable, but yet it has probably enormous overheads. And does that ever, does that ever become a worry at times, particularly given say the last two years, for example? COVID, COVID, you know, we were lucky in COVID because well, while our downtown campus was mostly closed, obviously, because everything was except for certain little things that we were able to do down there. We were lucky because the golf the golf club saved us because we had people go out to the golf club who never even you know they didn't they didn't know they didn't know it existed okay right so we had a lot of outdoor space with outdoor you know social distancing for our bars and restaurants out there a lot of golf we had ninety two thousand rounds of golf played last year and we're on par to have a hundred thousand rounds of golf this year so our members are great our members stayed with us they 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 kept us whole we kept our staff whole you know we 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 didn't lay anybody off for the whole two years did we lose money. Yeah, not a lot though compared to what we what we had going in. 
but you know, you're right. We're, we're, we're a huge budget. I think we operate something around, I don't know, 55, 60 million last year is our, is our, is our revenue, whatever our, our budget. But so we've got a great team. Team's our C, Tim, our CEO is a great guy. He's got, we've got a you know, financial guy. We've got a construction guy. He's got a whole team underneath him of really A players, the director, AD. So, I mean, we've changed our governance a lot in the last few years and we're trying to get guys like me and, and, and other gals and fellas on the board with us, all the weeds growing the club. So we've made some great hires over the last five or six years. We're very confident. The board now, and, and, and pre, you know, even though the president is in charge, I try and stay out of, the, stay out of that, stay out of the running of the club, get more involved in what's coming, future, you know what I mean? To, you know, membership, make membership, you know, make, satisfy our members, make it better, look to new ideas. So that's, what my, that's what my goal is, okay? Our construction projects, all that kind of stuff, or, you know, the new golf course. Get involved in that. Let our staff run the club. We pay a lot of money. Let them do it. And, and it's working because, it, you know, 15, 20 years ago, and I'm not going to please, I'm not going to knock any ex-board members, but the culture was the board ran the club. Well, that's not, we, we get, that's not good business. And we're getting out of that. So very proud of that. I mean, I will say one thing too. This year, as a pressure, you have to put certain people on committees. And our board, we were only as strong as our committee structure in the club. Our committee structure is all volunteered. And I was able to get four or five great Irish guys and gals on some of these committees and start, you know, keep the ladder down, get these young Irish people involved in governance and try and hopefully follow in Martin and, and my footsteps, uh, you know, and get the leadership role down the road. And in fairness to the people I, I asked, they all jumped up. I think, you know, Aina, Aina Murphy, Aina would be a good friend. So Aina jumped right in on, on, I think he's on the building committee and I, another guy called Jim O'Driscoll who's on house committee. All these guys jumped in. So, I hope that answers your question. Yes, we are a big business, but believe me, you know, I'm up here. I still rely on the staff. I don't, I try to stay out of the way and, and that's to me is good business. So that's where we're at with that. I like that. that that's a good phrase. Let push yeah. the ladder down and get, guys, down. get guys involved. Yeah. But see, I suppose the, the reason that this is so curious to us is that look, just the scale doesn't exist outside of, um, it in it, it can only exist in the US. Let's face it, this it, kind of club size, like you, you're like clubs in Ireland, are, as you said, you you talk about Skiv, they're lucky probably if they have a general manager and uh, uh, maybe someone in the pro shop. Do you know that kind of way? So to right. to give, yeah. I just wanted to give people a bit of context to the scale. Yeah. So you as president, then, like, what's the what's the president's job? Like, what's the day to day for the president? Is it is it all hey. lun- lunches and no, uh, meetings, or is it bit of rolling your sleeves lots, up. Lots of meetings, and you, you got the two campuses. So I, I kind of split my time usually. Uh, usually during the week, I'm, I'm I'm at the downtown campus. Lots of meetings. It's probably and um, forty hours a week, you know. And then lots of lots and lots of meetings. Then th- there's the social part of it. If from out at Lakeside, like I've been ho- asked to host a lot of golf. When you're a prez, you host. I mean, two weeks ago, I had uh, let me see what his name is. I want to mess this up now because he might be listening to the podcast. I had the mayor of Cork two weeks ago. Uh, Jerry, what's he his definitely- name? Us, definitely listen. oh my god he's a great guy <laughs> don't mess this up so, you know okay you, i got it right yeah. there's a lot of oh, cork yeah. people out there you had emma driscoll who we've spoken emma's a friend of the pod she was out with us so yeah that so i think i think there's a there's a there's a, a very distinct cork element it's time for some stories okay right enough about me okay so so yeah colin kelleher is his name Larry cork came out two weeks ago great guy playing golf with this guy okay right I didn't realize it. it was his second round of golf. Okay, right. So he had no business in the late course, but we had a great time. I think he sat in the golf crowd for the last three holes. I said, you know, Colum, 
you look a bit like Pat Short. <laughs> He's 23 years old and from side view, 25 years old. He said, my mother tells me I'm my Pat Short. And that, this is this guy, the funniest guy ever. He enjoyed our famous burger dogs, okay, right? And sat in the golf cart for the last three, two, two, three holes. Super nice guy, and he's got a he's got a great future in politics, but not on the golf course. I mean, this guy should not be allowed near a golf course. But but fun guy. Sorry, sorry, Colum. That was it. So let me jump into a few stories here. I can stop backwards if you want to and go forward. But so in April, okay, funny enough, I got an email yesterday from a great friend of mine, Carol Kaufman. She's a, a, a great girl. She's involved in a lot of golf in Scotland and Ireland and, and here in the States. But Carol said, hey, Paul, by the way, don't forget your hosting room. Ronan Rafferty uh, in April. So Ronan's coming in. That's a blast in the past. He played, I mean, Ronan was number, Ronan won the Order of Merit one time back in Europe. I remember that. And he played US Open here in 98. So Ronan's coming in next month. Looking forward to that, playing with him. I'm also playing with him in Cordoval the next day. So it'll be Martin Connie nine Ronan and some friend of his. So looking forward to that. Like I told you last week, we had Colm Kelleher, great guy. So recently in February, just a weekend before the AT&T, which, which is down road in Pebble Beach, we had John Murphy in town. John Murphy, uh, you guys know John from King Sale. John went to, he, he played his golf in Louisville uh, with another guy I met called Devin Morley. I think Devin's from Galway and Devin's on the, one of the tours out here. So I met Devin and John together, but, but then I met John just recently. We hosted him. John was out with Emma O'Driscoll's manager with a great day that day on the golf course. And John's caddy, Shane O'Connell, great story. Shane's worked in one of the top four companies, accounting companies in Dublin, okay? John's going to turn pro. They meet one day in the bar on King's Sale, and John says, hey, Shane, I need a caddy, okay? Shane says, let me think about it. Goes home, he says, mom and dad, I'm taking a year off. and going caddying with, with, with John. So great story. Uh, Emma was out here. Emma, look, that, that girl can play. They, they hit a few foursomes, and Emma made the winning putt on 18 to, to, to beat John. And I think, I'm not sure who was playing with John. I think it was Daniel Connolly which is one of our, our young golfers out here. Uh, and also, I got that day, I got to play with my, my old friend, Marty Carr. So Marty played with me that day. That was freaking hilarious. Marty tells a great story. I got to tell you this great story really quick. Marty says, Paul, I was out in, I think it was Wingfoot or Garden City. He was playing with this older gentleman who knew his dad really well, um, JV. And then Marty had two brothers. Jerry, I met Jerry since past. Jerry's a great guy. And I can't remember his other brother's name, but they were you know, basically scratch golfers. Marty would never boast he's ever a scratch golfer. Marty goes out and plays this golf on Wingfoot. Like this guy in Wingfoot, it was Wingfoot, this older guy. Goes out there, Marty, of course, maybe went a bit too heavy that before. He's on the golf course, he doubles the first hole. I think he loses the ball in the second hole, picks up on the third hole, whatever. Just, just playing like crap, okay, right? You know, maybe bogey in the sixth hole. So standing in the seven tee box, this old gent says to Marty, he says, Marty, what? He says, were you adopted? <laughs> So, <laughs> great story, great story. So that's Marty. So then, let me go back a little bit, okay? So, by the way, I want to say this. Over the years, I've been so fortunate to meet most of our Irish professional golfers. And I can say, I can say this with my hand in my heart. The Irish golfers, Parbrick, Paul, Seamus Powers, uh, I mean, uh, Shano, all these guys, Paul, these guys, they are absolutely fantastic ambassadors, not just for golf, but for Ireland and the Irish people. These guys are absolutely brilliant people. I'll start with Pardick, okay, right? So I met Pardick. So Pardick's got a great friend, uh, Kit Flood. Kit Flood is Ronan's brother. So Kit uh, grew up playing golf. So Ronan, as you know, is, is, is Pardick's caddy and married two sisters, Carolyn and I can't remember the girl's name. But Kit grew up with Pardick. 
playing junior golf at Stackstown. And when you go to Carlo Golf Club, you'll see a lot of the honors that Paul did when he was a junior golfer. And you'll always see Kit's name on there somewhere. So Kit came here in 96, and Kit became great friends with Mike, good friend Martin Connolly, who's on the board now, who owns Johnny Foley's. So Kit kind of had it in with Pardick. Pardick came out here in 98, played US Open. Uh, he had a, a coach with him from England. I can't think of the guy's name. I remember walking on the golf course with him. I didn't get to meet Pardick that time, but I was the first time I met Pardick. But then Bob we, Torrance, we, 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 by any chance? It, it, this guy was, a, I, I don't think it was Bob Torrance. No, this guy was more of a, more of a mentor to Pardick. I cannot think of his name. And I often meant to ask Kit afterwards who this guy was. He just was walking on the golf course and he was, got talking to a really nice old English gentleman. I don't know what his connection was to Pardick. But anyway, that was it. So then Pardick would come back every year. You know, he would play Olympic before going down to the AT&T. So he made a lot of good friends at Olympic. He'd play Harding Park as well. So really, Pardick, we'll, we'll fast forward to 2007. He wins the British Open, right? He comes out, he comes out every year, he'd come out every year, and they, they would play, and he'd be invited to the top 20 in the world, would play with Tiger, a Tiger's Challenge down at, at, uh, at sure, what she was called, that course was called, uh, let me think what it was called again, Pardick's course. Um, oh, yeah, Sherwood Country Club in Thousand Oaks. So Pardick would play down there every year. He comes in that Saturday night with, the, or maybe Friday night, with the claret jug, okay? The claret jug, as you probably heard the story before, goes on a pub crawl of the Irish bar of San Francisco. It's in this big silver cast thing, back of a taxi that they get out of a pub crawl. They were in Johnny Foley's, the Irish bank. I'm not sure wherever else they were. I wasn't on that pub crawl, but there's a, a guy called, uh, what's his name, that owns the Irish bank, uh, Ronan O'Neill, I think his name is, from Galway. But anyway, that was it. That happened. Next day, Pardick's flying down his private plane that he had hired out. Uh, to to uh, Thousand Oaks, right? So he says, Kit, I got room for you. So Kit jumps in with Pardick, off they go. Right, this is a great story. We're playing in this tournament where it was Johnny Foley's and the Irish Bank against these two bars down in, in the Santa Barbara Ventura, right? And we had this little trophy, it's called a one-on-one trophy. It's a piece of ugly crystal, I don't know what the hell it was. I think Kit got it in a, in a garage sale somewhere. That was a trophy. We're driving down the one-on-one to this tournament, okay, right? And Conley's there, and Martin's driving, I'm in the car, and this guy, Pat Mahoney, and Ronan, o, Ronan O'Neill. And we're driving down to play these guys 12 on 12 the next day in a, in a golf course called Satakoy in Santa Barbara. So we call up Kit, and I said, Kit, where you at? Yeah, I'm, with, I'm having dinner with Pardick. And Martin says, Kit, did you win the trophy? Because we won last year. We can't be cocky. We've got to bring the trophy back down. Kit says, shit, no, I forgot the trophy. I didn't bring it. So Pardick's, you can hear Pardick in the background, like saying, what's up, Kit? He says, well, I forgot the trophy. So he says, oh, so I'll take care of that. So next morning, Kit arrives up with his rental car and the security guy, knew who he was, right? With the claret jug in the boot of the car, right? They'd call the head to the manager, the, the pro, the head pro at, uh, at Satakoy. Head pro comes out, white gloves on, another security guy. They take this huge casket on the back of the car into the pro shop, right? We go through a range. We're teeing off against these Irish guys uh, from, from Santa Barbara in our little one-on-one bar tournament, 12 on 12. And tradition was, you'd always have the crystal trophy on the first tee box, okay, on the table. Well, guess what? Everyone gets up to the range, starts teeing off. What's on the, what's on the table? A freaking kind of jug. Now, how intimidating was that for us? <laughs> Needless to say, we won that, that thing pretty easily. We get back in afterwards. All the locals, are, you know, it's a private club, Sadakoi, great club. They're all taking photographs with the kind of jug. But that's just the kindness and the personality of Pardrick. Like Pardrick, I mean, we had security and all that, but... Such a kind man. He, he allowed us to have this claret jug for one day. The people of Sadakoy will be forever thankful to Paul Rick. I mean, he didn't know them from whatever. 
but he mm. gave them this, and they had a great, they got some great photographs that day as well. That's one of my Pardick stories. But again, Pardick Harrington, one of the greatest ambassadors I've ever seen from, of any sport from Ireland. What a kind, fantastic man. I wish him all the best. Great guy. I'll, I'll jump on to uh, Shane. Shane, I met for the first time. I did actually meet him, but it was at uh, Aaron Hills, uh, 2017 US Open. Uh, we got tickets from, from uh, uh, Martin and I and two more guys. We got tickets from, um, I think I think who, uh, uh, from uh, Rory's caddy, Sean, gave us tickets. We go out to, to, to Aaron Hills uh, to watch Shane play. Uh, we, we went to Shane's dad, Brendan, and Shane's manager, uh, what's his name, Shane, uh, Brian Moran. So we walk around with them a great day. Just a small note on Shane. I didn't realize when teams go against Shane at the time, back then, really hot at the collar, really hot and bothered. But what was amazing was, what was amazing was uh, the American fans were screaming, beef, beef, beef. And Shane's like, I'm not fucking beef. Okay. <laughs> and beef is this guy from England. So this was hilarious. So then Shane, fast forward 2019. Shane has a great day down at Pebble Beach. Uh, in the US Open, uh, finishes I think top 30, came from nowhere to finish top 30, great day. The next day, I was fortunate enough to be invited uh, up to play in a kind of a one-day pro-am team by Medius, a Dublin company, who sponsored Shane, so I got to play in that. Shane was on the 17th hole. He got a clinic first, a chipping clinic first, uh, which was great, because I know he was in Johnny Four, he's not before, so he had a bit of a hangover, but he gave a great, great chipping clinic. Yeah, and then on, on the 17th hole, he hit the shot, you know, the power tree shot with us. So it was a great day with Shane. And then it was funny because there's a, there's a caddy called Casey Kerr, right? Casey has a record of uh, caddying the most masters, 30 masters. Casey played with me that day as well on the, the force. I mean, Casey was with Ernie Ells recently, but Casey's a great guy, great, great uh, uh, character of caddies. But Casey picked it. Casey said that day, and I'm not lying, you can ask Kit Florida, these guys were there. And he said that he said that Shano would win in Portrush. Okay, he said it, and sure enough, a few weeks later, Shane wins in Portrush. What did I do that year? How did I mess up so badly? I got a, I got lucky and blessed to get a ticket to go over to the Masters. I went to the freaking Masters, right? I was at the U.S. Open in Pebble Beach, right? And I was at the PGA and Bet Page, and I failed to go home to Portrush. I should have gone home. I would have had all four on my belt. I missed, so I didn't do it. But that was Shane. Shane again. Shane, a lovely, lovely, great, great guy. I don't know Shane. I've met him a few times. Uh, but great guy. Another great ambassador. So happy for him. And uh, he's playing great golf right now. I mean, I'll jump on to Rory. I very little interaction with Rory. I met his dad a few times. But I will say, though, Rory, his manager, Sean, anytime we wanted you know, a ticket or a parking pass, fantastic. Quick story on Rory. He's over playing in the, uh, uh, the, the um, it was the 2015, he won the, um, the, the, the WGG match play at Harding Park. We're over, it was Fox's, it was the first 2000, it was first the 15, it was the first four ball, USJ four ball. We're over there volunteering, okay, right? It was nonsense, it was Fox's first intro to golf. It was scandalously bad. But anyway, we're over there, a buddy of mine, Dan Dillon, who ran the tournament, gave me and my friend John McLaughlin from Dimmy Gall, we mentioned earlier these two tickets to go over to the to the players' lounge at Harding as a reward for 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 working this other tournament. So we go over there Friday evening or Saturday. I'm not sure what evening it was. We go over there. And Rory won his match. Uh, we're inside in the players' bar. Me and this guy Johnny and my son, who's a big guy, and, he, and my nephew, who's a big guy, is two sixteen-year-olds. And Sean, Rory's manager, comes in and he says, "I said, Sean, dude, how you doing? It's great, Paul. I said, see you." 
I said, is Rory coming in? He says, no. I said, he'll be, he will be in the press room. I said, is there any chance these two kids get a photograph of Rory? He says, Sean, Sean says, hang on, Paul. I'll give you a shout. So anyway, sure enough, 10 minutes later, Sean comes back and says, Paul, get the lads in. I don't need to go. My buddy McLaughlin, who's a complete legend, uh, especially when it comes to alcohol, he goes with the boys, okay. They use my phone. They come back to my phone. There's the photograph. Rory, my son, my nephew, and McLaughlin. Next morning, we're out at Olympic Club volunteering for the sport ball. 5 a.m. in the morning, 5.20 in the morning, having coffee. I had texted the photographs to my buddies. This guy, Casey Murphy, has been in big, huge, not, not iPhones, other ones, they what they call them. Big phone, and he has a photograph of, of, of Rory, Johnny, and the kids. And he says to Johnny, he says, hey, John, how was Harley yesterday? And John says, great. He says, you meet Rory McElroy? No, no sign of him. <laughs> and Casey says, well, who the hell has gotten the photograph? So that was my Rory story. But yeah, Rory, again, any, any interaction I've had with Rory, generous, great, fabulous guy. Um, Seamus Power. Uh, I met him at Johnny Foley's just this year. He came in to do a, a fundraiser for the uh, Waterford hurling team here in, in, in San Francisco. Super nice guy. Connection. Uh, he's caddy. Um, he's caddy. Simon. Simon Keelan. Simon Keelan yeah. Douglas. Douglas. He hit that iron shot you saw last week. But mm. Simon, so Douglas, I've got a lot of connections to Douglas. I'm actually, I'm, I'm joining them as a, an overseas member. So Douglas, as you know, you guys, you got Peter O'Keefe. I was fortunate, fortunate to play golf with Peter O'Keefe about 10 years ago. Super great guy. You got you got John McHenry who runs the club there. You got you, my great friend James Zoom who I talked about earlier is there. And here you go. You got now you got this, this kid Simon Keelan who's carrying for Seamus. And again, Seamus, super sweet guy. I'm delighted. I think he's going to make the Masters. Should have four Irish guys in the Masters this year, which is great. Okay, last year we after the Women's U.S. Open, we were so pissed off because Lisa didn't make it. Not Lisa. Um, Leonie didn't make it. But anyway, she flies into town. To play in the uh, in the um, Medihill Championship next door at uh, at at um, um, what's our club next door, which is doing we right now. Like I said, so Martin Conley's wife Mary invited me to dinner with Lisa and Leona. Okay, so we have dinner. It was outdoors in West Portland, this restaurant, and it was actually the first time that that Leona and Lisa had met um, Dermot Byrne. It was the very first time they'd met, and since then, look, a marriage made in heaven. I'll tell you a quick story. You might have heard this story, but we're out on the golf course this, this second day. I think Leona shot like a, a scorching 63 the first day. She's in contention on Friday, but she's playing with this Daniel Kang. And I don't know if you guys know much about Daniel Kang, but she's like, you know, she hangs out with the Kardashians and all that. She's Mrs. Hollywood. Not <laughs> very well liked on the scene. Bit kind of, bit whatever, bit out there. But she's playing with Leona, and Leona hits a ball into the tree and her pro chop in second hole. Now, Lisa, I was walking with Lisa, and Lisa and I were looking, and there was no one out there. It's a small tournament, and we saw the ball in the tree. It never came down. Well, Leona gets up to the green, expecting to see her ball in the bunker, and it wasn't there. So there's a bit of commotion and whatnot, and it takes time. But eventually, Leona, Lisa says, Leona, look. Leona looks up, and there's the ball. The ball's in the tree. Demo identifies the ball, and that's the ball. It takes them quite a while to get the referee over there to get a, to get a ruling, okay? In the meantime, referee comes over, He's about to give Leona a drop or whatever. The ball falls out of the dirty tree, right? Okay. And guess what? Daniel Kang gets involved in the whole thing with the referee, goes head to head, and it gets really heated. Well, ultimately, Leona loses out because Daniel Kang is Daniel Kang, and Leona's just this girl starting off the tour. So Leona has to go back and hit the shot from where she, you know, take a penalty and go back to where she had shot from originally. But I, I said that, I said right away, the way that Dermo interacted with 
Leona that day. Like Dermot did not back off. He did not back off. I said, these two, these, they've, they've, got a, they've got a future. And so far, so good. And I wish them the best of luck because they have got a future. And by the way, people don't understand. Lisa and Leona, look, rock stars. I mean, she broke every single record at Duke. I mean, she, and as you know, she, she, was, she, she holds record for being the number one amateur female in the world for, for the longest stretch of time. But Irish, I mean, Irish girls and guys playing college golf in America, there's so many of them out there that people don't know about, like fantastic golfers. There was a gal recently that, that played in that Masters tournament that they had for women last year, I think as an amateur. I'm not sure where she's in college, but there's, 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 there's young Irish people all over, all over the, the college scene here in America. It's fantastic. And it jumps into my, another kid I got to talk about here. And I, I hope not bearing too much, but this is another good story. There's a guy called Aaron O'Callaghan. Aaron, again, mm-hmm. he is also Douglas. Aaron was originally, he was <laughs> coached at Louisville. And he's the one who, who recruited uh, John Murphy um, to Louisville back in the day. Uh, he transferred to Wake Forest. So Wake Forest, he's there now with, with uh, I think it's Jay Haas is the head coach. And uh, Aaron is the assistant coach. We had Wake Forest, we hosted them at Olympic last year. They came over, they came over to, Olymp- to Olympic, and it was very funny because they had this kid. So let me just get it right, right here now. This kid's name is Mark Power, right? And I heard this kid, Mark Power, has got a connection to Skibreen, where I'm from, okay, right? So, uh, so I did my investigating, called my buddy Doolin. Yeah, he said, Mark Power is son of pa- Eddie Power, who was a fantastic Waterford amateur golfer, and son of Eileen Rose McDade. Well, guess what? She's from Skibreen. <laughs> I went to school with her brothers, Brendan, and I can't think of his brother's name. And Brendan was out here in 2012 because he was coaching Paul Lowry for the US Open. So I met Brendan, had lunch with Brendan one day out here. We've become friends since on Facebook. I know he, he does a lot of coaching stuff back in Ireland, but what a story. This kid, Mark Powers, was a super nice kid. I think he's number three or four on the Wake Forest team as a sophomore, as a junior now, but a great kid, a great golf program. Again, a super, super nice kid. I mean, if he sticks with it, it's got a great, great, great future. But what a story. Eileen Rose McDade, Eddie Power. Look at the pedigree you got there for, for an amateur golfer, okay, in, in playing in Wake Forest. But great story. Aaron O'Callaghan, Douglas. I meet this kid who I went to school with. His uncle knew his mom really well. And his dad was one of the, you know, great amateur golfers out of Waterford. My Paul McGinley story is pretty quick here. So Paul was out playing the American Express in 05. That was the year that Tiger Tiger one. So he called over for a favor. Would we host these two foursomes? So I said, okay. So there's a, there's a priest here. We call him the golfing priest, Father Brendan McBride from Donegal, right? So Father Brendan went to, went to school with, with, um, with Paul's dad, uh, Mick McGinley. So anyway, we go out there. So Martin Connolly go out there and we, we host these guys. So it was so funny. I got to play with, uh, with Mick, right? Fluff McGowan, who was Tiger's old caddy, right? And Bob, Dr. Bob Rotella. Oh, that was a foursome. I, the stories were on. I can't go into the stories, but it was hilarious. I'll give you a small hint of it. Bob Rotella had been called by John Daly's uh, manager to visit with John to see if he could help John out <laughs> psychologically. <laughs> so I won't tell you how that went, but it didn't go well. There was no saving John Daly. But these are the stories that we've had Olympic. I've been very fortunate at Olympic that we've had all these different people visit over the years. But again, I, I cannot sing the praises more of our Irish golfers, you know, from amateurs to all these guys and girls are fantastic. And they're, they're all superstars in my mind. They're just brilliant people. Where do you begin? I think it's, it's, uh, it's telling how no matter where the, kind of the Irish go, 
the um the goodwill towards them and from them really carries i guess like you've given us a number of examples of some great players that are are great people as well i think that's that's something that i can only imagine players going to the olympic club also get from the membership there especially if it seems to be run by the entire county of cork it's Absolutely. completely taken over by cork by the sound of it <laughs> it's like <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder, is it a prerequisite for membership at this stage that you actually have to have some sort of a member or, or family member from, from the county of Cork? It, um, it's funny, no, it's, it's nice to hear in that, in that context because these places can tend to be a refuge from home where people kind of meet people, not necessarily that they may not have crossed paths with before. You normally hear it in GA circles. You don't really hear it from a golf perspective. Normally, like that's all the Irish tend to gravitate to when they move abroad, like you probably use it, um, to be honest, gravitate towards GA club, whereas there's, there's that feel to it um, amongst, amongst you guys. As as you said, there's probably 200 Irish born people as opposed to first generation. Mm -hmm. Um, But you all seem as thick as thieves over there. If you ask me, I'd say it's an absolute racket that you're probably running between the lot of you. Um, I'd say a lot of a lot of points get drank, and there's probably a few parties that are going to be had when by the time by the time the Ryder Cup comes around, and we have Shano there, and we have Mark Power there, and stuff like that. Uh, I, I'm 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 looking forward to seeing to seeing what what the place what the place will be like. You'll take it over. I think I think the future of Irish golf, though, you see some of these kids that are that are over here, and I don't know if people now don't realise. The, the strength of play playing in college golf over here is unbelievable. I mean, it's just huge. I mean, and, and when just just yesterday I saw the Masters. They showed what's his name three years ago was the was the low am that that golfer from Norway. What's his name? He's a fantastic golfer uh, from Norway. Yeah, who played at Oklahoma, right? Oklahoma yeah. State. And that was some team. I hope people realize. I mean, the, the, the golf in America, college golf is huge, and it, it's sad to say though, for in my opinion, for a lot of these Irish and English and Scottish and Welsh golfers. They're probably better off to kickstart your career by playing college college golf in America. It's sad to say, but that's just that's my opinion on the whole thing. Because there are some fantastic. I mean, you know, I follow most of these guys like Morley and these guys now. I'd be interested to see where 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 Mark Powers ends up and all that. And there's there's some other gals out there as well, and it's great. I follow them all on Instagram and stuff, and wish them the best. But 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 guys, this has been fantastic. I I just I like to talk and see. I have no problem, you know. That's, talk, no, but. it's it's been it's been brilliant. Look, it's great to get an insight. It's somewhere where I found incredibly welcoming. I I, I felt it was somewhere that, um, probably flipped the script a little bit on what the perception this side of the Atlantic would be towards the towards private clubs. But it and and I felt that your story was one, and the Olympic club story because of the Irish connection was one that that was well worth telling. But listen. Paul, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the stories. Um, you've been very generous. The, group, the room there is painted green, so it looks like you're never too far away from, from home. <laughs> I got <laughs> over Steve, there. You see on my shoulder, you see that, that picture on my shoulder with the claret jug? That was <laughs> there it is. That's the, that's the <laughs> famous <laughs> stolen claret jug. I had it in the house for ages. The wife said, get, get that thing out of here. Put it in your office. <laughs> yeah. But now, Paul, I just go the president of the Olympic Club in San Francisco. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. It was my pleasure. Paul's got a lot of pretty, pretty cool stories. Um, a man who has been everywhere and spoke to everyone, it seems. Yeah. It, God, that, that, that net that you obviously end up getting trapped by um, in that neck of the woods 
kind of it catches a lot of people doesn't it yeah no it really does and i think we what i what the sense i got from it was that the the irish abroad or the diaspora as like it's like to be mm. known as um really look out for it and go that little bit extra for one another it doesn't matter whether you're the superstar golfer like poor garden or shane Lowry we are or you're the member of a club looking after the next generation of just good people good irish people um everyone seems to look out for one another and it's cool to know that somewhere like the olympic club does exist i am starting to realize why now i always see like a guy jersey at the masters or at a tour event in america it's there they it's it's so that they can have the, the association or they want to get in with people like that or, or have a chat with them what I, what was actually noticeable in, in a couple of the stories in relation to like um tour players is that they have very personal relationships with these people it does not it's not like they, there's no they're not on the take from them mm-hmm. and the guys over there have nothing to gain by or, or the pros have nothing to gain through these friendships or relationships other than friendship is i think is the main thing i i love that i like i could listen to him talk and tell stories all day long and i think it's cool to have i i think it's it's a it's a it's a cool thing in in such a big place that you've got a little corner of Ireland. I think traditionally it would have always been the the GA clubs that would be home to a lot of Irish people now. Bear in mind, like it's not non expensive. And that's not an inexpensive place to be, but it's certainly within within that area of, of San Francisco, which is which I suppose can be very tech driven and a little bit, I don't know, maybe hollow at times in terms of the, the Irish went out there and seemed to have built the place and then tech moved into all the places that the, the Irish guys built. But it's nice to see that there's a there's a place in the home for for those for those that are that are really into that into that scene over there that's somewhere where you feel like you'd actually like i kind of want to go there now there's yeah. nothing about that that's going oh god it's, it's a little bit standoffish or i wouldn't know what to make of myself if i was over there you you get the impression that it feels like if you went there you could just go and have a point play golf and go inside and have a point afterwards and someone would sit down and have a chat with you yeah, and more than likely be someone that knows someone from where you grew up or where you're from or or from Cork. From Cork, definitely. <laughs> it's um it's it's the it's the wide reach of the Irish abroad, isn't it? It's nice. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah, it's a story that we kind of felt was worth telling. It's a it's kind of a uh, an Irish story done good, if you like, and and well worth getting into. So thanks to Paul for the time. It was brilliant. We really enjoyed it. And guys, we will um catch you on the next episode. On the tee, Jack Nicholas. This is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness the return to glory